Hello. Thank you for listening to the Avenue GCLC podcast. My name is Christopher Stevens, and I'm the minister at the Avenue G Church of Christ, where we are people of more. We hope that you enjoy and have enjoyed listening to this podcast, where you can find sermons, congregational singing, and talk shows with myself and youth minister Joshua Williams. We pray that the content is a blessing to you, and we hope that everyone listening can join us in person for worship and Bible class. We are located at 601 West Avenue G, Temple, Texas, 76504. And don't forget to visit us online at avegcoc.org. From the people of war to you, thank you and God bless. I believe we're singing like we want to be there on this morning. Are we singing like we want to be there on this morning? It's a blessing to be here among you on this morning to continue in this series. Uh, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that. Over the course of the last five weeks, we had a five-week sermon series with this topic at hand. Uh, we've dealt with uh, a lot of ideas about what God says and does not say. And I believe that it's been beneficial uh if not you, to me, uh, to look at some ideas that some things we know, some things that we don't know, some things that are familiar to us, and some things that we just need to go over again. Because it is not, God's word is not something that we take in once and we just have it. It's something that we must uh, go over and over and over again in order to make sure that we are still doing what is righteous in the eyes of God. On this morning, uh, this is our last sermon series, and we look at the topic of suffering always comes from sin. Suffering always comes from sin. Dayton, uh, y'all had a scrimmage the other day, the temple win? Okay. Suffering always comes from sin. They played against each other, if you didn't know that. Suffering always comes from sin. That's, a, that's an idea that, that a lot of people hold on to. They believe that whenever they do something bad, it's because they've done, or when life is going bad for them, it's because they've done something wrong. A lot of people hold on to this idea that God is a God who is just there to get us, to chase us down, and to force us into right, to be a bully. To be the big brother that we wish we never had. But that is not the God that we serve. Amen. I want to share with you on this morning. A story. And it's a true story. It's a true story. About me. So I can verify that it's true. One night. As we're sitting in our living room watching television. Uh, we're watching TV. And all of a sudden, we hear a loud noise. And I'm talking about this isn't the kind of noise that you just hear and you stop what you're doing for a moment and then go back to what you were doing. This is the type of noise that you hear and you stop everything. You put the TV on mute. You put your music on mute and you say, where did that come from? And I hope it doesn't come again. We're sitting in our living room and we hear this loud bang. 
And so like most nosy folks, I go outside. I walk outside of my door and there's a car, an old pickup truck, speeding down the road. He gets to the stop sign, does not stop, and he makes a sharp turn and then speeds off. One of those old pickup trucks where they take the muffler off. So it was loud. A lot of people heard it. I'm standing outside. My neighbor across the street is standing outside. And we're like, what in the world just happened? And so we're looking at the car down the street and we're trying to see what is he running from. And my neighbor begins to look in my direction. And he's looking at my car. And I look at where he's looking. And my car is totaled. Someone ran into my car, knocked off the mirror, put a big old dent in the driver's side, glass on the street, and they just kept driving. So I'm dealing with this issue, and I'm angry, but I remember that I have full coverage and I paid my insurance. So I call up my insurance company and I let them know, hey, somebody hit my car. I call the police first, but someone hit my car. It doesn't look good. And the insurance people, they come out and they check out my car. And then they tell me, okay, we'll take care of it. I wait a day. I wait another day and I get a phone call. Our insurance adjuster has come to the conclusion that there is no way that this car was sitting in front of your house when it was hit. There's no way that it was sitting there in front of your house when it was hit. The impact is too great. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm paying all this extra money for full coverage insurance. And my insurance company is not covering me. And I go to battle with them and they tell me I'm not covered and this, that, and the other. And I have to keep making phone call after phone call. And I'm wondering to myself, why is it that I have to suffer when I paid my insurance? I'm sitting down in my house, not within my vehicle. The door cannot even open anymore. And yet they tell me that I was in the car when it got hit. Luckily, in our lives, there is sometimes outcomes that improve certain situations. And we all in here have faced situations to where we have been faced with the wrong when we were doing right. We may share in having family members who we thought the world of great-grandmothers and great-mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers, people who were actually great people who contributed to society in a way that was favorable for all people. And then as individuals on this earth, we end up having those same individuals die of fatal diseases. Believing to ourselves they have done nothing wrong to deserve their faith. We may have trusted in friends with our deepest and darkest secrets and helped them out of the lowest points of their lives only for them to turn our back on us when we need them the most. We may have done our best to raise our children, given up dreams, promotions, raises in order to make sure that our children grow up to be productive members of society and then our children end up going astray. And we face these type of sufferings in our life. And we ask the question, without a doubt, why me? Why is this happening to me? 
What did I do for this to happen to me? And that's the mind frame that we're going to be tackling this morning. Does suffering always come from sin? I believe this morning to say that suffering always comes from sin is not a biblical concept. And this morning we'll look at God's word to see the answer to that. If you would, turn your Bibles with me to Job. If you have a pew Bible, that's going to be on page 245. Two, wait, no, not 245. What page is that? Chapter 1. Chapter 1 of Job. What page is that in the pew Bible? 238? Okay, thank you. 238, Job chapter 1. I want to read for a moment. Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Say amen when you're there. Say hold on if you need more time. All right, we're all there. And the Bible reads, There was a man in the country of Uz Uz, named Job. He was a man of complete integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. His estate included 7,000 sheep and goats, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large number of servants. Job was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Verse number four reads, His sons used to take turns having banquets at their homes. They would send an invitation to their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Whenever a round of banqueting was over, Job would send for his children and purify them rising early in the morning to offer burnt offerings for all of them. For Job thought, perhaps my children have sinned, having cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. As we look at verse 1 of this text, we see that Job is a man who is considered to be blameless and respected by God. Verse number two states that he was a father. It states that he has seven sons and three daughters, ten kids. For someone to have this many kids means that they had two things. A lot of wealth. And they had the favor of God. Verse number three, it goes on to talk about Job's riches because their riches did not look the same as our riches do today. They didn't have. Dollar bills with Benjamin and Alexander on them. But what they had was cattle. And you see here that Job had plenty of it to go around. 7,000 sheep and goats, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys. And he also had servants galore. It speaks about the type of man that Joseph was. It says that his children would sometimes throw parties. And when they would throw parties, Job would, at the end of their parties on the next day, he would come and make a sacrifice to God on their behalf to make sure that they were righteous with God. To make sure that they were okay in the eyes of God. Job was an outstanding man of God. It doesn't speak of Job in an ill manner, but it states that Job was a great man was blessed with a lot of things by God because of his faithfulness. 
and because of his blameless character that he held before God. When we look at the life of Job, what we see for this in verses 1 through 5 for ourselves is the fact that being obedient to God does lead to the receiving of good things. It does. When you are obedient to God, God is going to bless you with good things. It may not always be the things that you want. It may not be shiny things. It may not be fast driving things. It may not be a huge house. But God is going to bless you and you will receive good things if you are obedient to God. But Job, the book of Job is more than just one chapter and five verses. As we see the author describe the life of Job, Job is characterized as being a good man, but there is something that happens within chapter 1. The very next verse we see this council of God who has come together to talk about some things. And you see this council, and it's this group of, of beings who are around God, and they discuss the going on of things that are happening on this earth. And all of a sudden, Satan, the adversary, the one who doesn't want to do right, he comes to God and God talks to him and he asks him where he's been. And Satan says that he's been going here and there. He's been going to and fro and checking out things. And then God, out of nowhere, without Satan prompting, God mentions the name of, God, of Job. He says, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says the only reason why he worships you is because you have placed a hedge of protection around him and his house and his things. Satan basically tells God that Job is only blameless and obedient because of what God has given to him and how he protects him. So God says, okay, I'll allow you to reach out your hand and to touch the things that he has. To touch the things that belong to him. But God says, I want you to do only one thing. I do not want you to harm Job and take his life. God allows for this to happen. And what happens next is something that is so terrible. Job's children are away doing what they normally do. They're captured by folks. A bolt of lightning comes down, burns up his cattle. All of his wealth is gone. And he has someone, every time something bad happens, he has a servant that comes and tells him, this bad thing just happened. You just lost all your wealth. Your children were just captured. All the other servants were just killed. And it's one after the other, bad news coming in, bad news coming in, bad news coming in. And then finally, to end it all off, Someone comes and tells Job that his children have been murdered. Job, being in despair as anyone would be, mourning as anyone would be to lose a child, let alone 10. Job chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, it says, Then Job stood up, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell to the ground and worshiped saying, Naked I came from my mother's womb, 
and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Throughout all, his, throughout all this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. When these things happened to Job, Job said, blessed be God. Job said, I understood that when I came onto this earth, I didn't have anything. I didn't have children. I didn't have wealth. I didn't have servants. And he says, I understand that I came to this world with nothing and I'll leave with nothing. And I understand that God gives. He has the ability to give. And I understand that God has the ability to take away. It doesn't change the fact that he's feeling bad. It doesn't change the fact that he's feeling sorrow. But Job, through this mess, still acknowledges God. And I think that that says something for where we should be in our lives when we come across the thing called suffering. Job didn't sit there feeling sorry for himself. Job didn't sit there making up excuses and thinking of reasons why this was happening to him. Job simply says, I understand that God gives and God takes, and I know that I don't deserve the things that I have. There's no feel sorry about yourself attitude here. And so what we need to see in this is the way that we see suffering is not always the same as God. We see suffering as punishment. We see suffering as something being done to us and not something being done for us. Job is dealing with this great suffering. And again, the counsel of God is standing above the earth to where people can't see, but they're having this conversation. And Satan again is in the presence of God. God being there, he mentions how faithful Job was even when Satan chose to tell God to tear up his things, to destroy his life. Satan isn't convinced that Job is as faithful as God believes him to be. Satan says that was a fluke, and he hints at the fact that men don't really care about the loss of things or people. He says that Job didn't really care about his family. Job didn't really care about his wealth. He told this to God. He says, but if you touch Job, then he will curse you. Then he will turn his back on you. Satan, the adversary, still speaks against us today. They're not as good as they believe themselves to be. They came to worship, but they're not really worshiping God. Speaking against you right now. As he's doing Job. God again allows for Satan to do as he pleases. He allows Satan to do as he pleases to Job, but only not to kill him. And so God allows for Job to be touched by Satan. And he covers his body with boils from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head. And these boils are so extreme that Job takes a broken piece of pottery and he begins to scrape the boils that are on his skin. Because he's in so much pain, he just wants some relief. From the bottom of your feet to the top of your head, you can't sit down or stand up. 
is so unbearable for him. And his wife sees Job dealing with the pain and the suffering that he's going through. And she says to him, why don't you just curse God and die? Why don't you just stop being the faithful man that you have been for your whole life? Stop being the person who was recipient of all of these good things that God has given to you when you were doing what you thought you should be doing. And now curse God so you can die so you don't have to suffer. Job responds in Job chapter 2, verse number 10. What does he say there, Brother Arnold? You speak as a foolish woman speaks. Job says this to his wife. You speak as a foolish woman speaks. Should we accept only good from God and he not says, adversity? Should we only accept good from God and not adversity? Throughout all this. The Bible says throughout all this. Job did not sin in what he said. Job never cursed God. Why is it? Think for a moment. Why is it? That when God is giving us plenty, when God is giving us the things that we haven't expected, you know that feeling that you feel when you get a bonus at work? When you make that good grade that you didn't study for on that test? That feeling you're welcome, you're open to receiving the good things from God. But all of a sudden, when those good things stop flowing in, you're like, God, wait up, hold up, I don't want that part. I don't want that part, God. I didn't ask for bad things. I only want good things because I deserve them. I deserve to have good things, God. And so Job is dealing with this suffering. His wife is telling him to curse out God and die. And he refuses to do it. And so what happens next is, is that while Job is dealing with the person that he loves and has committed his, his life to, telling him to curse God, all of a sudden, his friends come into the picture. Job, sitting there with these scars on his skin, bleeding, probably has flies all around him because he has these open wounds all over his body from scraping his skin. His friends walk up to Job, four friends in total. They see Job, they begin to cry. They see him from a distance, they begin to cry. What's wrong with our friend? Why is he going through the things that he's going through? Why is it that Job, we know that Job is faithful. We know that Job has been faithful to God and takes care of his family and takes care of his children and has servants that he takes good care of. Why is God doing this to Job? They're looking from the outside in and they see their friend suffering when they know that he's a good man. They cry for him. And then they begin to insert themselves in the situation. Job's friends come. The first one, Eliphaz, he comes. He states in Job chapter 4, verse number 7. He's telling Job, consider now. Who being innocent has ever perished? Where were the upright ever destroyed? He tells Job. When did God start punishing innocent people? You must have done something wrong, Job. You must be doing some type of sin for God to punish you. When have God destroyed those and caused suffering to those who are doing good? This is his friend telling him this. When Job knows in his heart he's done nothing wrong. 
He knows that he's been faithful to God. He knows that the suffering that is on him is something that is within question. And his friend, his close friend comes to him and says, when has God ever punished innocent people? His other friend named Bildad comes in Job chapter 8, verse number 3. He says to Job, does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? He says, Job, what you're receiving is what you should be receiving. You're getting justice for what you've done. He's telling Job, I don't know what it is that you did wrong, but you deserve what you're getting. You deserve this wrong thing that's happening to you. His friends continue giving advice to him, and Zophar comes in in Job chapter 11, verse number 13. Job chapter 11, verse number 13, he says, As for you, if you redirect your heart, and that means if you repent, if you redirect your heart and spread out your hands to him in prayer, keep reading, keep going. If there is iniquity in your hand, remove it. He says, if you're holding on to something that you're doing bad, remove it. Don't allow injustice to dwell in your tents. He says, there's something bad that is within you, around you, that you're allowing to go on. Verse number 15, keep going. Then you will hold your head high, free from fault. You will fir be firmly established and unafraid. Keep going. For you will forget your suffering, recalling it only as water that has flowed by. He's telling Job, God can do no wrong, and you must be the one who's guilty. He's saying you need to devote your heart to God. Maybe these things wouldn't be happening to you. Job is dealing with what a lot of us have in here. Sometimes we deal with some suffering in our lives. And the first thing that we do is we go and talk to some people. We're suffering with things in our lives. Things aren't going the way that we should have them to go or that we would have them to go. And the first thing we do is we go and we talk to people. We, as created beings, go and talk to something else that is created. And what has happened is these three people, the three out of his four friends, have come to him with some bad theology. They've come and they presented to, to Job something that God is not. They said, God wouldn't give you bad if you're doing good, you must be doing wrong. God wouldn't give you this type of thing if you didn't have sin in your house. And we go and we're okay with talking to people while they give us their bad theology on how we should live their life and live our lives. Well, I'm going through this such and such thing. Well, you must be doing wrong. And it causes us to question. And this should cause you to question. If the Bible is stating all of these things and Job's friend are telling him that he's doing wrong, when we know looking outside that Job is righteous, suffering does not always come from sin. These three men that have already spoken to Job are older men. 
And because of their age, the fourth person thinks that they are righteous, that they are full of wisdom. But I want you to understand that age does not equate to wisdom. There, are, there is a such thing that exists in our world as it was then. And it's called an old fool. Age does not equate to wisdom. Someone can be a hundred year, years old and be just as foolish as a child. Thank God for Job's fourth friend, Elihu. Turn your Bibles with me to Job 32. I need you to see this. Job chapter 32. And I'm doing this here in narrative form because I want, I want you to understand his story. Job that chapter 32. He has a young friend who is there as well. If you're there, say amen. Job chapter 32, verse number one. So these three men quit answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then Elihu, son of Barakah, at the, the Buzite, from the family of Ram, be, became angry. This young man became angry. It says he was angry at Job because he had justified himself rather than God. You see, every time Job's friends had talked to him before, he would always say that I've done no wrong. Made no mention of God. Verse number three, he was also angry at Job's three friends because they had failed to refute him and yet had condemned him. Now, Elihu had waited to speak to Job because they were all older than he. He was a respectful young man. He waited for the older men to stop talking. Verse number five, but when he saw that the three men could not answer Job, he became angry. So Elihu, son of Barakah, the Bizite, replied, I am young in years while you are old. Therefore, I was timid and afraid to tell you what I know. I thought that age should speak and maturity should teach wisdom. But it is the spirit in a person, the breath from the Almighty that gives anyone understanding. What this young man is saying right here, I need you to understand this. Go back. What he's saying here, it's not about the age of a person that equates to wisdom. Wisdom is not age in years. Wisdom is not, I've been through this 12 times. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. And what this young man here says is, I thought that because you were old, you were going to be kicking some knowledge. But what happened is, and what I realized was, it's not about the age of a person, but it's about the spirit that's within them. And if you're going to people who are just created things, understand that you're going to get some foolishness. But if that created thing has a good spirit in it, the spirit of God in them, then they're not going to respond with their thinking. They're going to respond with thinking of God. That's why you need to choose your friends wisely. He continues on in verse number nine. What does it say? It is not only the old who are wise or the elderly who understand how to judge. Verse number 10. Therefore, I say, uh -huh. listen to me. Uh -huh. I, too, will declare what I know. He said, listen to me. I got the good spirit in me. I know who God is, and I'm going to kick some knowledge to you old heads today. 
Because you and Job are talking some foolish things that don't make sense according to God. Verse number, uh, tw- uh, chapter number, uh, verse number 12 of chapter 34. Turn over to chapter 34, verse number 12. What does the Bible say? Indeed. Indeed. It is true that God does not act wickedly. It is true that God does not act wickedly. And the Almighty does not pervert justice. And the Almighty does not pervert justice. What Elihu is saying right here is that God is incapable of doing things that are wicked and evil. While y'all sitting here having this back and forth conversation talking about wrong is being done to Job, he says God can't do wrong. He says God isn't capable of doing wrong. It's not as his nature. Elihu, this young man, knows God. And he's kicking knowledge to these old heads here. God can't do wrong. And then he also says about God, the Almighty does not pervert justice. If you're doing wrong, God is going to meet you with wrong. If you're doing good, God is going to meet you with good. That's what you need to understand about God. But he does not stop there. Continue on to the next one where he says in chapter 36, Drop down to verse number 26. Yes. who is still talking. Chapter 36, verse number 26. What does the Bible say there? Yes. God is exalted beyond our knowledge. He says, God is above our thinking. We cannot begin to think like God. We try our hardest to think like God. We try our hardest to understand how the rain cycle works, how the body works, how nature works. But we try, try our best. We will never be able to be on the same level of thinking as God. And so what he's saying is is God has decided to do something and we don't understand it. Don't think that you'll understand it if he doesn't reveal it. Keep reading. The number of his years cannot be counted. It says the number of God's years cannot be counted. 27. For he makes it says he makes water drops How many of you in here raise your hand if you can make a water drop? Can you create a water drop? Can you create H2O, combine it, and make a water drop? God can. He says, for he makes water drops what? Evaporate. Evaporate. And what else? They distill the rain and into its mist. And they distill the rain into its mist. Verse 28. Which the clouds pour out and shower abundantly on mankind. This is what we need to understand. We can't touch. We cannot touch. What God is doing. So we shouldn't say when we are experiencing suffering, we should not say what is happening to me and what is God doing to me. We should instead be saying, what is God doing in me? Not what God, what is God doing to me? What is God doing in me? Job learns a valuable lesson here. He says, or what he's learned is choosing the right master and the right friends is important. Choosing the right master and the right friends is important. I need you to understand that if you choose for Satan to be your master, he does not care about you. He is not going to take care of you when things go bad. God will. If you choose to have bad friends, go back to that slide. If you choose to have Bad friends, they're going to give you bad advice. If you choose to have ungodly friends, they will not give you godly advice. If you choose to have a friend that is a brother and sister, and they are not holy, and they do not have fruits of the Spirit, 
they are going to give you ungodly advice. If it sounds strange and it does not sound of God, you better check for yourself. So then Job, he has this conversation with four friends. He's talking with himself. He said, if I could just present my dilemma to God. If I could just have a moment of time to explain to God that I'm righteous, that I'm doing what's right, and ask him questions about why he's doing what he's doing to me, then maybe God could stop all of this mess from happening. I need to have a sit down with God. And guess what happens? Job gets to have a sit down with God. God has a conversation with Job. Turn your Bibles over to Job chapter 40. Job chapter 40. Drop down to verse number 9. So Elihu, who was filled with the Spirit of God, started kicking knowledge. And then God just takes it to a whole nother level. Job chapter 40, 40 verse number 9. Read that for me. Do you have an arm like God? God starts off at verse number 9 talking to Job. He says, you want to have a conversation with me. Let's have a conversation real quick, Job. Verse number nine says, do you have an arm like God? Do you have an arm like me? And what he's saying there, do you have the power that I have? Are you able to do the things that I'm able to do? Keep reading. Can you thunder with a voice like Does his? your voice thunder like my voice thunders? To you, thunder just points to weather changing. But my voice is thunder, Joe. Keep reading. Adorn yourself with majesty and splendor. Can you adorn yourself with majesty and splendor? And Keep going. And clothe yourself with honor and glory. He's telling Job, look at you. You're full of scars and boils and all these things. Can you change your own condition by yourself? Keep reading. Pour out your raging anger. Pour out your ra raging anger. Look on every proud person and humiliate him. He says, can you do these things? Can you take the proud and make them humble? Can you take the humble and make them proud? Can you change anyone else's personal stance with you? Can you, can you change anybody's circumstance, Job? Can you do these things that I'm doing? Keep reading. Look on every proud person and humble him. Uh-huh. Trample the wicked where they stand. Right. Hide them together in the dust. Uh-huh. Imprison them in the grave. Job, can you can you can you take people's lives and be righteous in it? Keep reading. Verse 14. Then I will confess to you that your own right hand can deliver you. If you can do any of these things, if you can do any of these things, Job, then I will. Then I'll talk to you. God goes on for a long time explaining all these things that Job just can't do. God tells Job, he says, Job, were you there whenever I told the ocean to go this far and stop at this continent? Job, were you there whenever I set the earth on its axis and began the spinning of it? Job, you can't do what I do. Job, you, you don't have the power that I possess. I want you to see here, God never explains to Job his conversation with Satan. He doesn't say, hey, Job, I brought your name up to Satan and I let him do these things to you. He doesn't explain that to Job because he doesn't have to. He never says, oh, Job, I, I, I was just trying to show Satan some things. He doesn't need to explain these things. 
He doesn't even apologize to Job. He challenges Job to do and understand the things that he can do. You're wondering why you're suffering. You're asking God, why me? And you're causing your suffering to separate you from the one who can change the suffering. I say it again. You're dealing with suffering in your life right now. You can't worship right because you don't let suffering take over your life. You don't let a bad situation take over your life. You don't let miserable people take over your life. You don't let bad situations, bad jobs, bad children, bad adults, bad teachers, bad boyfriends, bad girlfriends, bad spouses take over your life and you have separated yourself from God. You come to worship and you didn't allow suffering to overcome you and you're worshiping in sin. Because God ain't your first priority. It's quiet because it's true. It's quiet because there's somebody in here this morning who has allowed suffering to overcome them. And that's the truth. Feeling sorry for yourself because things are going bad in your life. You're questioning God about what he's doing and why he's doing it. Why me, God? Why are you doing this to me, God? The question that you should be answering, what is God doing in me? God here. Telling Job, let me be me. Let God be God. Job, you can't create anything out of nothing. Job, you can't bring life to something that is not living. Job, you can't change the circumstance of any person on this earth permanently. And in an instant, like God can. God is telling Job, let me be me. And we would do well to understand that we need to let God be God. At the end of this story, in the life of Job, after he's lost his wealth, his family, and his health, he learns an important lesson. God makes the good possible. God makes the good possible. Our suffering is not always the outcome of sin. And what we need to understand is we may never know the reason for our suffering. But we can be sure that God will use it to take care of and cause all of our situations to end in good. Does that make sense? You might be going through something right now that you may never understand why you're going through it, why you're dealing with it. And we as Christians ought to be okay with that because God can't do wrong. God cannot pervert justice. And so that means that whatever it is that he's doing in you is going to be for your good. 
I think that's a, a Bible verse. If you love God and you're obedient to God, he's going to work out all, capital A, capital L, capital L. He's going to work out all situations for your good. God, how is this going to turn out to be good? Just wait. Just watch. God took dirt. He created human beings. Watch what he can do with your mess. He breathed life into dirt. The stuff that we walk on. The stuff that we try to keep out of our house, we sweep it out. Throw it in the trash. The same stuff God took and made human beings. He can take your mess and turn it into a ministry. I saw something that a minister posted. We need to let our scars evangelize and preach to the world. What would homes look like if spouses understood that suffering is not a cause for divorce? What would happen if our community chose to wait on God through suffering instead of taking their own lives? What would happen in our church and how great would our church become if suffering was understood as a necessity and we waited on God to be God? What if we didn't jump ship? What if we didn't jump ship when things got bad? What if we didn't demand that we receive good when we were receiving bad? What would happen? How, how much influence would CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News have if the world understood that God is one to be trusted through suffering? Would news still be news? If you see a bad headline come across and people say, okay, God got that. I don't have to worry about that. But people still watch. I don't think so. I don't think we would continue to watch news and hear about all these bad things that's going to happen to us that don't end up happening if people truly believed that God was going to take care of it. Does suffering always come from sin? No. Job was a righteous man. Job was an upstanding man. Job did what was right in the eyes of God. And he still received a lot of bad. But what happens in the end is this. After Job has healed, he has more daughters, has more children, more wealth, more servants. God gives him more than what he started off with. And I truly believe that Job could not have handled the excess that he received in the end if he didn't go through the low points of not having it at all. I believe that he dealt more responsibly with the plenty that God gave him on the other side because of how everything was taken from him. You see, through suffering, we learn a lot of different lessons. And that's what we ought to be doing when we're in our suffering. We ought to be taking notes. Not writing down requests, but we ought to be taking notes. What, do I, what can I learn from this? How, how is somebody going to be helped through what I'm going through right now? We also need to understand 
that while all suffering doesn't come from sin, our sins can cause us to suffer. Our sins can cause us to suffer, but all suffering does not come from sin. What I need you to understand this morning is, if you're not a Christian, you live beneath your privilege. God truly has something special for you. God truly loves you. God truly wants to be in relationship with you. He really wants you to be in heaven with him forever. I know that folks may not be able to stand you. You may not. Sometimes you might not be able to stand yourself. But God wants to be with you forever. The only way that you can do that is believing in the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to this earth from heaven, gave up everything in order to become a human being. And he didn't just come down here for the sake of coming down here. He came down here so he could save all of us. You have to believe that message. If you don't believe in the message of the gospel, you cannot be saved. You must change your heart. You can't believe in the message and stay the same person. You can't believe the message and stay the same person. There must be change. That's repentance. You must confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In doing so, we die to ourselves. You must be baptized for the remission of your sins. That's where we meet the blood of Jesus. That's where God does something to us in that water where he causes his son's blood to cleanse all of our sins. Everything that we did in the past is gone. It's washed away. We no longer have to be captives of sin. God bought us back. He loves you. If you're a Christian this morning and you need prayer, you need to get back right with God, wipe your slate clean this morning. Ask for prayer. Ask for forgiveness as we sing the song of invitation. My God is awesome. He can move mountains. Keep me in the valley. Hide me from the rain. My God is and He heals me when I strip where I've been weak. Don't think that's the situation.